They've Let Charlie Behind the Desk Again edition of Spin Cycle, uh, where we do our best to untangle the knot of the 24-hour news cycle and look at some of the issues, the big issues that are facing the media in Australia. Uh, my name is Charlie Lewis. I'm a reporter with Crikey. And as you may have guessed, uh, my usual co-host slash the person on the show who actually is good at radio, Jessa Lee, is off this week. We're missing her terribly. But we have... Uh, the incomparable author of the monthly's daily newsletter, uh, The Politics, Rachel Withers, with us today. Rachel, thank you for joining us. So nice to be back. And with you for once. Yeah, I know. This is, it's one of those kind of crazy things. I think it's probably quite common in, like, uh, I don't know, Australian media Twitter, where it's like, oh, I, I know this person, but I've actually never met yeah. them face to face. And so this is, you know, this is a special evening for that. <laughs> um, how have you been? How's your week been? Yeah, good. I mean, covering the daily politics always leaves me a bit fried by Thursday night. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think we'll do our best here. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's like without the um, the adult in the room, <laughs> Jess, and and with the com- the com- like the uh, comparable levels of insanity for both of us, this could be interesting. I mean, like, I feel like every every time I think I've I think I've been behind the desk like maybe three times or four times in the, in the history of the show. And every single time there's been like one, at least one monumental technical weird thing <laughs> that's been entirely my fault. When will it be? So I'm excited to see what, what it's going to be. Um, what it's going to be. Uh, we're going to be chatting with uh, Kishore Napier-Raman, the uh, CBD columnist from the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, talk about the kind of the joys, the fun and the risks of being a gossip columnist uh, in this day and age, um, actually, and to see if he actually minds us calling him a gossip columnist. And uh, apart from that, we're going to be talking about, well, the, the long, slow decay of the Twitter files. And uh, a bit later, we're going to chat about the the kind of politics and the media uh, strategy around The Voice. But first, the Twitter files. What have you been making of that, Rachel? I must admit, I sort of, with all the the Elon Musk Twitter stuff, I started (laughs) to tune out because it was just, it was terrifying. Uh, I mean, it was hilarious, but at the same time, it was terrifying. He kept doing these ridiculously stupid things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember seeing the Twitter files stuff going on, and I've only just started to tune back in again uh, now that it's all really exploded. Yeah, I mean, I think Elon Musk is very much a a sort of product of the the modern age and the modern politics where it's like, if you ignore the fascism, it's quite funny. Yeah, (laughs) If you ignore the the far-right connections to this stuff, it's very, very funny. I'm not not accusing Musk himself of being a fascist. I probably should make that clear. (laughs) But um, I guess for those of you, the kind of... um, the mercifully uninitiated among our listeners, the the Twitter files was basically uh, initially a series of Twitter threads, and I think it, it found its way onto Substack uh, that was put together by a group of, of journalists handpicked by by Musk himself, uh, who were granted access to the company's internal documents um, soon after Musk took over the the platform. Um, this basically came out of uh, persistent complaints from from conservative commentators, particularly that there was a kind of uh, a censorious left-wing bias on the platform, uh, and Musk uh, promised to look into that, and and this was kind of the result of that. So um, you, you'll never guess what happened. <laughs> um, Matt T. Uh, Tabibi, sorry, who uh, was one of those journalists, one of the high-profile journalists who we kind of engaged for this process, 
found that, well, he argued at the time that the Twitter files showed that, and I'm reading this as this is a direct quote, that the world's largest and most influential social media platform uh, would control and manipulate speech at the behest of what he called connected actors, and they were necessarily like government figures generally and, and Democrat figures more than anyone else, invariably kind of reinforcing the platform's anti-conservative bias. So there was a lot of a, a lot of things being taken down that had a, a conservative uh, bent was was the was the way that the the piece appeared. Of course, over the time that this has now been in the public eye, uh, this this whole kind of series had been decomposed. I mean, did you, were you kind of following that as it happened? A little bit. I mean, I remember seeing that, um, you know, Matt Taibbi was doing this kind of new Twitter journalism and, and it was, this story was released as a tweet thread um, and it, it was kind of drip-fed to us, you know, like yeah, Elon Musk yeah. was saying something big is coming and, and you know, conservatives who believe there is this kind of big tech left-wing bias conspiracy were very mm. excited about it and then it dropped and it was kind of nothing it was kind of a fizzle yeah, yeah. It, it, it kind of it sort of it, and I think my, my, my colleague camp who's much much better with this kind of reporting than I am and sort of much more across these issues kind of put it quite well we said these are actually interesting and they do show sort of what it what the the kind of pressures of of being a platform like Twitter really involve and and how there are people constantly trying to manipulate the the information available on you and how how best you deal with that you're never going to get it perfect but but they're taken completely out of, they're misconstrued and they're misconstructed and they're kind of taken out of context to give uh, a deeply misleading kind of idea of what they actually illustrate. Um, but of course, and the whole thing has kind of really come crashing down in the last few weeks. Did you see uh, Taibi's um, interview on Mehdi Hassan, the, yeah, the MSNBC? Yeah, I, I saw bits of it. Um, that was, I mean, the way that I put it, um, I hate to quote my own joke. I don't hate no, it. No, you should quote your own uh, joke. Well, it's, it was that it was, it was sort of, it was to car crash interviews what the end of the Blues Brothers was to actual car crashes. Yeah. Like it just kept smash after smash after smash of all these different kind of factual er- errors and kind of big omissions in, in his reporting that he wasn't really able to account for on time. Mm. Um, I mean, it's really shot, I mean, even from the start, Matt Taibbi's credibility as this independent journalist, and I mean that's what he's known as a yeah, quote unquote yeah, yeah, independent yeah. journalist, was shot by the fact that he'd sort of agreed to do this work for Musk. It, he was still doing it as a journalist, supposedly, but Musk was providing these internal documents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was some kind of agreement. There was some sort of like he, what was it? He had to agree to certain conditions. Yes, yes. But he wouldn't say what they were. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, you know, he was already kind of – he'd already compromised himself a little and then it's yeah, turned yeah. out that just there's just so much incorrect reporting. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, it, it does illustrate a lot of the um, sort of a, a, a distinctly modern take on, on, on an old issue in some ways because there's the idea that there's always that kind of balance that any journalist has to strike in if they're reporting on powerful people, which is the access, the access that you are granted to – information and documents and processes um, is only available under certain strict conditions and that's become stricter and stricter as, as time goes on. And this is, I suppose, a very modern twist on that because, well, I suppose the, the, the other kind of end to this is the commercial end to it and, and how things kind of really flamed out in, in the last week where uh, Tybee and a, and a lot of the journalists who, who kind of do, did the work on the Twitter files are very reluctant, reliant on Substack, the platform, which is basically where individual journalists can kind of, yeah, charge for their own work and not have to work for another um, publication. It's only really available as a, as a sort of viable way of making a living if you're quite high profile already. Mm. But, but still, it is, it is a new way of doing that. Um, and Musk, after Substack introduced uh, Substack Notes, which was 
pretty much indistinguishable in terms of its functionality from what Twitter does, uh, Musk, or at least uh, Musk's kind of people, decided to basically throttle the... the um, Talk about free speech. I know, right? It's, but so essentially people couldn't, access, people couldn't um, retweet or like or engage with t- uh, tweets that had uh, Substack material embedded in it. And, 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 and you couldn't that, embed tweets and, in and, and Substack. Sub- yeah, exactly, exactly. So basically they had this big falling out of it and now, you know, they don't follow each other anymore and Tybee's threatened to walk off Twitter and stuff like that. And I think it's like... I don't know. In some ways, it's always a little bit the case, but it's like the person who holds the, the the whims of the person who holds the purse strings in journalism is always a bit of a worry. And this is just the most direct and like explicit yeah. version. Yeah, I mean, it was I've a seen. real quid pro quo. Like, it, we were aware that Musk had directly given him these documents, and he was to publish the story on Musk's platform, Twitter, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it yeah. was about Twitter. And sure, and, and it explicitly um, backed up uh, a, a narrative that that, that um, Elon Musk wanted to put forward. Was oh, that it's like he bought Twitter just to do this, just to, yeah, yeah, just to, to like to make to make quote unquote comedy legal again, and to and to sort of prove that it is actually of like it was a censorious and left wing thing. And then, of course, what he has found more and more is that the reality of it is that if you own one of the biggest social media platforms in the world, you have to moderate content, and if you don't then all the people who pay for it, i.e. the advertisers, just will bail, as will kind of the more high-profile users. Um, and, and yes, we, but we have to stick with this narrative that it's actually, no, it's, it's left-wing censoriousness that has, been, that has been the main problem. I mean, what was really excellent was that, like, this was supposedly showing censorship at Twitter over Hunter Biden's laptop. Oh, yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, yeah, And yeah. then it was revealed that, like, it's just a bunch of content moderators deciding, you know, that whether this is in the public interest and, and whether it should be you know, mm, mm. how information should be moderated, but there was no influence from the Democrats or, you no, know. No, I mean, they asked for certain things to be taken down and that, and, and so that, that was the kind of the big headline moment. Mm. But then the, on the other side of things, Republicans figures were asking for certain things to be taken down as well. Like yeah. It's not, yeah, yeah, not really proof of anything as no. such. Kishore Napier-Raman is a CBD columnist with the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Previously, he worked as a reporter for Crikey, covering federal politics from the Canberra Press Gallery, where he wrote news and analysis with a focus on day-to-day politics, foreign policy, legal affairs and government transparency. Uh, Kishore, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. Hi, how are you doing? Good to be here. Good, good. Uh, yeah, it's great. We've been trying to tee this up for ages, so I'm so glad that we finally got you on. Um, I guess for uh, our uninitiated readers, um, talk us through a little bit about what CBD as a column actually is and kind of what it's for and, and the role it plays in the paper. Well, it means a, a lot of things to a lot of different people, I think. Um, so it's a column that's on page two of the, um, the Sydney Morning Herald of the Age. Uh, traditionally, it was sort of a, a kind of business gossip column. Um, now it's sort of broadened into covering I guess, politics a lot, business, media, all that kind of thing. So it's a very broad remit, but it, 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 it sort of, I think, it's digging around in the weeds of how power in Australia works is the way I like to think about it. It's, it's sort of looking at, you know, who's meeting with whom, who's sort of doing the, the shadowy backroom deals with whom, um, who is at what event, all that kind of thing, um, you know, it tends to get a lot of uh, a lot of readers from readership out of people working in the Parliament House and things like that. And you know, I like to think of it as a, a way to keep people honest, but in a quite light-hearted and tongue-in-cheek way. So we kind of tend to get a bit more creative leeway with how we write about things, which 
I think always makes things a little more fun, um, but also can rub people the wrong way sometimes, which is part of the spirit of it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to say, I guess the, the, the kind of, the obvious kind of question is, I mean, there is a contrast between that, which, and as you say, um, part of what's so great about CBD is that it's it's quite funny, it's, and it's and and I think you know you probably wouldn't mind me saying there's a, the odd mean joke in there. Um, and I guess like in terms of the approach to that, how does that contrast with say back when back when you, when you were my long suffering colleague at Crikey, um and you were writing? You know, I mean, obviously Crikey still has a, has quite a uh, an irreverent voice in some ways, but it was much more a lot more straight news reporting, a lot more straight analysis. I mean, how do you kind of shift from one mindset to another, I guess? Uh, I guess it's a different approach of looking at the same thing almost. Like, I I, I think sometimes the ability to be able to crack jokes and be a little bit more lighthearted is sometimes a bit disarming. Um, You know, you can go in there with with that, like you said, uh, a slightly more irreverent tone, but at the end of the day, you're kind of using that tongue-in-cheek tone to, I think, expose and and write about quite serious matters. Um, You know, when you're talking about who is working as a staff for for which uh, political figure or, you know, which big business leader's marriage is is broken up or or something like that, um, sometimes the best way to do that is is in a kind of more light-touch tone. So, yeah, I guess it's a departure from how newspapers traditionally operate in terms of straight news reporting. But I think that creative leeway and creative freedom lets you do a lot. Do you think it helps you... Is There are things that you can achieve... I mean, I think you've hinted it a bit there, but are there things that you can achieve through that kind of writing that maybe you you can't make as explicit or you're you're sort of slightly more hamstrung when you're doing a more straight piece? Well, look, at the end of the day, we are still hamstrung by um, <laughs> legal <laughs> issues. The threat of defamation looms large over mm-hmm. everyone, and it, it does loom, I guess, particularly large sometimes over a column like what we do, just by the nature of the fact that we are often writing about powerful, wealthy, influential, and ultimately very thin-skinned people. <laughs> um, so that always operates as a constraint. Um, I, I guess having that freedom to be a bit more lighthearted means you can euphemise about things, perhaps. You know, you can sort of you make, make, make jokes around the edges and that kind of thing. But I think also one of the great things that you can do is kind of connect the dots about how power in the country works. Like, you know, you can, you can say, well, here's this figure that's now started working in the Prime Minister's office or, or so-and-so's office, and it's like, here are like the... 10 weird things they did five years ago and, and bits of esoteric information that might have slipped out of the out of sort of the general news cycle but are worth pointing out um, in the background. And I think all that stuff gives you a more holistic picture of, of how people are running the country, so to speak. Um, but, yeah, no, it doesn't hurt to be able to, to make a few gags here and there as well. It, it makes my job a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Kishore, it's Rachel here. How are you doing? Rachel, hi, good. Another person I'm finally speaking to you for the first time. I was wondering, um, just in terms of it being gossip, um, and it is fun. It's like it's like when yeah. I read the news, it's my fun bit of like, you it's know, it's a little bit of candy <laughs> yeah. to get through. But I guess, like, how do you determine whether a piece of gossip is in the public interest or whether it's just salacious and, you know, titillating? Yeah, it's hard, right, because 
I mean, there's always been this thing about, let, let, let's use an example here being, you know, the private lives of public figures, of politicians, of influential people. And, and yeah, we do get a lot of pushback when we report about things like that, that, that people seem to be, I guess, private and, and you know, they think of private. And I, and I guess, obviously, if you're the one being written about, um, you're always going to have a different approach to, to someone like myself who, who's writing about this stuff. I would say that, I guess, in the world, a couple of things. Um, you know, in the world in which we live in, the lines about what the public and private have kind of blurred a lot, and that's, I'm not making a value judgment about that. It's just, it just sort of is, right? And I think, you know, when we started having front page stories about Barnaby Joyce having a child with his staffer, right? Mm-hmm. I think we, we really moved the Overton window, so to speak, about what we could and couldn't write and what was and wasn't deemed in the public interest. At the end of the day, I think we are often sort of having to make judgment calls about that. And, you know, there are some times when we're doing things that are maybe a little bit sensitive and a little bit private. You know, you will get people who will be like, do you have to write that? Do you have to run it? Mm. Um, and, and I think one way around that is we tend to report those things a lot more straight. Right. Um, and, you know... Uh, as well as that, I think that when you are a public figure, when you put yourself out as a public figure, as someone that people should listen to um, and whose opinions and thoughts about things are important and influential, and you, you, when you put yourself into a news cycle or the discourse, so to speak, I think that you should just expect that, that at some point people are going to write about things that you might not want written about. Um, and, yeah, there are things that we don't write because they're too sensitive. Um but, yeah, it's always a fine line. It's always a difficult call, and I appreciate that reasonable minds are always going to differ on this stuff. But, you know, I think by and large, people being in the public eye means that we, we have a duty to kind of, like, write things about them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, the other thing I suppose, uh, the other kind of contrast I suppose I wanted to kind of explore with you, comparing your time at Cranky with your time um, at the at the Nine Papers, is kind of like going from... You know, a small, a smaller audience. We say a, 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 a loyal but 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 smaller audience. Mm. Crikey, to you know, obviously one of the kind of major massheads uh, in the country. I mean, does, has that affected? And yeah, how has that affected you as a journalist in terms of uh, the nerves that you feel when you file something, or like the kind of uh, yeah, or the or the pushback that you get? I suppose. Yeah, well, you get a lot more readers, and that's both good and bad. It's good that you get more people, more eyeballs on the stuff that you work hard at doing. Um, it also means that, yeah, the, the, the anxiety and the sense of dread about, just by virtue of, you know, where where you where in the paper your, your column is and also the people that you're writing about is obviously greater. You're going to get more, you know, like I said, thin-skinned, influential people expressing their dissatisfaction with things that you've done. Um, and, you know, the stakes are, I suppose, just by virtue of the masthead, always going to be a little bit higher. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there is that that threat. And, you know, I don't think any reporter doesn't have residual anxiety about stuff that they file, no matter how sort of small the audience is or how small the outlet is. So, you know, I, I guess it's a continuation of that, but it's just something you've got to deal with, I suppose. It's the... Um, the curse that comes with having the privilege of being able to write for a, a, a big newspaper. Yeah, in terms of that, in terms of it being a bigger paper, like how has that changed how you report or how you come across stories? Like are people coming to you a lot more than they used to? 
Yeah, I would say that. I, I, I guess having the economy at scale, the large masthead backing you, also comes with a sense of security. But yeah, it also means that people are, yeah, they're, they're more sensitive about what you write. But a lot of other people are more eager to to feed you things and you know share things with you and, and get in touch and want to meet up and that kind of thing. Your so, inbox must be yeah. fascinating. <laughs> Oh, there's some interesting stuff in there. There's crazy <laughs> stuff in there. I mean, there's some of the most outlandish, um, outlandish responses. I mean, you know, and, and again, there are particular figures when you write about them. You know that they they are the sort of divisive but much loved people. Um, I'm not going to name any names here, but, <laughs> but you, you know you're going to get like angry emails from really random units out there. Um, <laughs> So you kind of you kind of know in advance. You brace yourself for what you're going to get when you write about certain people. Perfect use of the word "unit," by the way. I think that that, <laughs> that, that phrase. One of my favourite words. It, you, it, 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 uh, it's a very very pungent word. It says a lot by itself. Um, look, I'm going to have to ask you. Like, is there? What's the worst screaming at you've ever gotten? What's a... Oh, I, again, I, I'm reluctant to say that <laughs> over here. Um, I really am, but. Um, it's it's, um, it's, it's, actually uh, yeah without naming names I I think sometimes other media outlets tend to be quite Ah. um, sensitive Um, or people in the media Mm. have have in the past been fairly sensitive with me Um, obviously politicians and political staff can be like that but their job is often to like get on the phone and scream at journalists so you know you kind of you kind of come to expect that a little bit. Um, and obviously, you know, probably the worst ones are the ones that will send legal letters. Um, but, you know, we have a good legal team, so hopefully that doesn't happen too much. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I think I find that a bit too with with, with, uh, with uh, Crikey. Um, kind of when you write about other media figures, I think there's a certain... Uh, affrontedness that's slightly personal. Mm. It's kind of like, no, we're on the same team. How could you possibly... I'm not... I shouldn't be the, 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 the you know... The target of this kind of thing. We're not. We're not. We're not in this to do that. Um, yeah. So I think. Some, I think probably I would have the same experience of like the the really kind of wounded stuff comes from other media figures. With politicians, there's a bit more. It's all in the game kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And for I sure. mean, I and think I, that's. I, oh, sorry. Go on. Oh I, no! I was just going to say. I think like there are some people you write about, and you write something that you know is a bit mean, and they know is a bit mean, but they kind of get it. Like they know yeah. what. They know what the column's about, and you know they know that they're going to be in there. And that's that's just cause what's going to happen, and they, you know, but the smart people will respond by trying to give you something better, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, um, yeah. <laughs> instead of getting upset. Um, I, you know, I would say to any prospective sources out there, that's the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that episode of um, oh, it's not the Hollow Man. It's the uh, Yes Minister where they they want something bumped off the front page so they are desperately trying to get something else on the front page and something worse happens yeah. they want something yeah. they want yeah. the original story put back on the front page <laughs> um on a lighter note do you have a favorite piece of gossip that you've been able to drop in the column oh god there's been so many recently um a real fan favorite from last year was when we wrote about um Julie Bishop and her ex-partner um, oh, separating. Yeah. And stuff like that, you know, uh, that, that's the stuff you're talking about, people's private lives. That's the stuff you always feel uncomfortable writing about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also seems to be the stuff that really blows up a lot. So, you know, that's the kind of, I guess, that's the tightrope again, you know, that, that people people like reading about stuff like that. Do you always feel a bit like, oh, should we be doing this? Is it worth doing? Um, but, you know, get lots of 
gets lots of attention and, and that kind of thing. I mean, I think um, that relationship stuff is actually so, so in the public interest. Like, you know, we've seen this with celebrity gossip and people questioning certain, mm, you know, mm. coverage of certain celebrity relationships. Um, but... Yeah, I think I think when we're talking power, you know, it matters that we know oh, who's dating yeah. who. Like we're aware of who's in which party with who, but people are just quietly dating people in, you know, the media yeah. and politics, and and I think that's yeah. so important. Yeah, yeah. I remember Crikey used to do that that fascinating list of media power couples. Yeah, Haven't done it yeah. for many many years, but I still have people coming coming and saying, "Oh, I wish they still did that." Um, <laughs> but you know, people. But people like that stuff, and I think part of it is, like, pure voyeurism and that kind of thing. But I think you actually just, like you said, you figure out a lot based on that stuff. Um, you know, when you when you find out just all the ways that powerful people, influential people are kind of connected across different spheres, across the media, across politics, across um, business, you kind of get a... a, a a sense of the country and how it's run. And I yeah, think that yeah. is important. Yeah, and even beyond the educational value in terms of, as you say, kind of just showing the, the links and the networks of how all this stuff works, it is also actually very important if you're reading, for example, uh, a, a national politics editor of a paper, <laughs> if, you, if you know that they are going out with a politician. <laughs> that that, that, that yeah. is just very important yeah. for your, your assessment of their work um, as a reader, I think. For sure, for sure. Yeah, no, it's um, it's something that I think readers should know. It's like yes. we need one of those, um, um, like, love maps, you know? Like <laughs> yeah. People keep making them on TikTok at the moment showing who's dated who in the, right. like, Kardashian yeah. world, yeah, but yeah. we need one with federal <laughs> <Ozpo>. politics. <laughs> Uh, yeah. kind of, I think it's the kind of thing that BuzzFeed would have done back, in, mm. back, in, back when they, you know, RIP, Buzz, Buzzball, <laughs> BuzzFeed. But... Um, I suppose the, the flip side of that, and you've been extremely, extremely um, diplomatic tonight, Kishore, but I'm going to keep asking you <laughs> annoying questions. Is there any, and I'll, I'll, I'll caveat this, is there any bit of gossip that you got that you didn't follow up because you thought it was not strong enough or it wasn't um, in the public interest, <laughs> and then it became public later, and you're like, damn, that was a really good bit, I should have done that. Has that happened yet? Oh, yeah, 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 it has. I, I can't actually think of anything off the top of my head. Um, and you're going to probably think of that as a cop-out, but no, it, it, it happens. Yeah, it does happen. Um, yeah, God, I'm trying to think. I, I, I mean, I, I suppose the other thing to say is we obviously have, like, kind of competitors working in that space as yeah. well. You know, you've got the rear window column in the AFR, which is fabulous. Um a bit different, but, you know, they, they sometimes do stuff I, I've had my eye on and wish I had, and you've got Margin Call on the Australian that, that has some really good stuff in there too. Um, so you often are seeing stuff, you're like, oh, I thought I, I thought I knew about that. Or you're like, oh, you know, I, you know, maybe you get scooped on it or maybe you kind of just didn't think it was a big enough deal to pursue aggressively that day. And the other thing is as well, you're kind of, you're working to a pretty relentless a deadline, um, trying to get it fill a column, fill a space in the paper every day. So you're often just sometimes making really line ball calls a million miles an hour and, you know, stuff just gets lost in the mix sometimes. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's how stuff slips through, through the cracks. But um, I, I just cannot get anything off the top of my head at the moment. But it does happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as you say, I mean, it is a, it's, it's a hell of a thing being a, a daily columnist, uh, particularly, as you say, when you're dealing with a lot of things that require 
quite quick decisions about whether it's worth pursuing and whether it's worth putting the work into. I, I would, the thing I was thinking of, actually, particularly during the last election, but I suppose it actually just applies to C, a place like CBD uh, at any time in the political cycle, which is the question of how you deal with... Um, people who are too eager to give you stuff. People, do, do, do you know what I mean? Um, yes, people who are very yes. powerful, who, 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 who give you a lot of good stuff, but you kind of know that you're slightly being... Ca- well, you're trying to, how do you avoid being captured, I suppose, by, by savvy people in, the, in, in politics? Oh, look, I, I think every journalist has done a kind of pretty uninteresting story purely to make a source happy so the source gives them something better down the track. I think a lot of people have been in that position. Um, and it, you know, it happens. Um, you wear it, um, and, and you hopefully, ideally, that it, it sort of pays off down the line. Um, but yeah, sometimes you get people that have, you know, very eager to get stuff in, or, or you know, very eager to give you stuff, and, and might not be like the ideal fit for what you want for that column, or, or even just not the best fit for that column in general. I, I think you know. You've got to remember that every, a lot of people that are coming to me have their own incentives for wanting something mm-hmm. published, right? They're either you know, they're working for a politician or, or something like that. So, you know, I think in the kind of world that you're in, you've got to remember that everyone's got some kind of agenda there. Um, but, yeah, certainly there are people that are, that are eager. But, you know, I think, like, source management is a really important part of working as a journalist. So just, like, figuring out how to deal with that kind of thing without... Uh, and the flip side of that, of course, is without you know burning people too uh, when you write something, and you know, make sure you keep them out of it and all that kind of thing. That that can always be a little bit tricky, but um, yeah, it's just uh, just part of the fun, I guess. Uh, I'm I am just so glad hearing that that I don't have to deal with sources in my life. <laughs> I don't talk to anyone, and I'm so happy that I don't have to talk to anyone. <laughs> All right, sure. I think we could talk about this all day, but um, we're going to let you go. Thank you so much, um, yeah, for coming on. It's been such, such a fascinating chat, and I think th- I think that we don't haven't dealt with it all on Spin Cycle yet. So it was great to get your perspective on that. Thank you so much, Kishore. We'll talk to you soon. Nice See to chat. Bye. Bye. Words and music. Triple R. Um, so the other big media story that we had uh, this week was obviously um, kind of more developments on the voice. You've obviously been running. A huge amount about this almost last, every day. Almost every day. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess how have you been viewing the last week in in voice politics? I suppose, and and specifically, I guess how that relates to the media. I mean, I suppose I've been especially focused on the way that the Liberal Party is framing its now decided opposition to the Voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we saw Peter Dutton come out last Wednesday and uh, say that they wouldn't be supporting a constant constitutionally enshrined voice at all and um, a lot of his arguments uh, all along and especially now rely on this fact that he claims that there are voices on the ground who he has spoken to and he's allowed to claim this sort of unchallenged constantly um, who don't want the voice and this is a Canberra voice and it's the academics voice Um, Mm -hmm. and then we saw him go to back to Alice Springs today to continue his um, sort of campaign to 
bring light to what's going on in Alice Springs, but actually use that to undermine the idea yeah, of it. Yeah, it was a few things at once, wasn't it? It was the 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 the, the Law and Order figure that we've come to really associate with him with, and also mm. as a, as a little plus, it kind of it seemed like it was doing double duty almost. Yeah, no, I mean he's he really leans into the the Alice Springs. Um, thing and today I think we saw a particularly interesting exchange um, mm, mm. today and yesterday there is a journalist up in Alice Springs he lives in Alice Springs named Lee Robinson who works for the ABC and he sort of started challenging Dutton on some of these uh, claims he's been making um, well, because some of the figures came out and said actually no you've taken up our- our views out of context here and, and there's nuance to it and you've, you've misrepresented yeah. them. Yeah, so Dutton says, you know, people from Palm Springs to Laverton mm. um, to Alice Springs don't want the voice and, and the journalists have gone looking for these people and <laughs> leaders in those communities say, well, actually, no, we do want the voice or he didn't ask me at all. Um, so we saw like one of those combative press conference moments mm, mm. Uh, today where, um, well, yesterday he was asked, why aren't you listening to these local organizations on the ground and why are you sort of quoting people who don't seem to exist um or that you just can't name um and what did he say he said you know those people can speak for themselves i'm speaking to people in shopping centers um and then today it was another he's making a lot of uh claims about child sexual abuse yeah the northern territory that um experts say is is um not necessarily accurate um and, and, again, it gets played on the nightly news, mm. but then you have to turn to sort of I, other outlets, I suppose, to see, you know, organisations that are at the forefront of this saying, well, that's not quite right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. I mean, there's, there's, obviously there's a lot of areas that you can go into. The thing that really, one of the things that really struck me about that exchange, or, or at least one of them, I think there was a few mm. heated exchanges, he used the phrase, that, that's such an ABC question, mm. <laughs> which I kind of thought that was very... Um, I mean, there, there, was, there was a few things. Obviously, you could say that there was the point that you made that, like, it's kind of very funny for someone who uh, has been a professional politician for more than 20 years, um, talk to someone who does live in the area and whose entire job it is to talk to people on the ground about various issues, including the voice and say, what are you even from this place? Do you even talk to these people? Uh, but also the, 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 um, the, that is such an ABC question was a very loaded aside. And I thought, Oh, well now we know what, I mean, we always knew this, but I guess it was a real pointer to the, the tradition that he's trying to join there a bit. Like the, it kind of really reminded me, the first thing I thought of was like Tony Abbott and the team Australia, and the ABC's not on Team Australia thing. And I don't think... I think that that uh, the, the attack the ABC as a kind of hotbed of, of, of hard-left sedition um, tactic doesn't... I just can't imagine it's as successful, even as a political tactic, as the people who do it think it is. I think... I think it you, might have been at some stage, but... I, I even wonder about that. I just think, like, poll after poll after poll after poll, every time they ask people who is the most trustworthy media, invariably people across the political spectrum and people across Australia say the ABC. By the way, I want to say, you know, we're not here to just, like, cheerlead for the ABC. <laughs> and um, speaking of people who get in contact, if they think you've been unfair, we have, we have heard from the ABC sometimes when we've had a bit of fun at their expense on this show. So, like, um, but, 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 what you, but, but it is just demonstrably true that, that they are consistently one of the most trusted news sources in the country or, and also one of them just in terms of their work is, like, um, 
you know, emergency broadcasting and, and local news. Often they're the only people that have got the resources to do that properly in various areas. So I think even like when it worked for Abbott, I don't know if that was what worked. I think it was a combination of, of a lot of factors that, that kind of delivered Abbott to power. Um, I know, but you're right. I mean, may, but but it, but it may have been at one stage a part of a. I just. I, I, I mean, it is. Yeah. I think it is still like even if people trust the ABC, it's a very easy way for Dutton to just dismiss a question. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. And you know, they're they're already building up this argument that the ABC is biased when it comes to this, and we saw mm. that over the weekend too. The Daily Telegraph had a big go. Oh yeah, at course. the ABC yeah, for yeah, yeah. having Noel Pearson on. Yeah. And uh, the argument was that um, they had Jacinta Price quoted, the Northern Territory senator, um, quoted saying, you know, that he was allowed to get be uninterrupted for 16 minutes, um, mm, mm. you know, attacking opponents of The Voice. And the ABC actually chose to respond to that and put out a statement saying, yeah. well, we've invited Jacinta Price many times onto this show. She has declined repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Warren Mundane all the time. And also there was pushback against um, the... The idea that it had gone un- unchallenged, Yeah, actually. there were, you know, yeah, yeah. Peter Dutton's views were being put to Noel Pearson during this interview. But, um, yeah, you oh, can wait, see... hadn't Dutton been on that morning or am I... He am had, I, yeah. he had. <laughs> yeah, yeah like... it was the morning after he'd, he'd come out against it and he'd been on AM. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but there is this um, very concerted effort going on to imply that the ABC is very biased when it comes to The Voice. Yeah. And, you know, to child sexual abuse, even though... The ABC is, in this instance, uh, Lee Robinson was quoting the peak body for Aboriginal children and saying they don't agree with you. But, yeah, yeah anything seems to be just implied that the ABC is biased. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, it's also the really convenient thing that... Um it's like no, I'm listening to the people on the ground. No, not those people. Oh. <laughs> like, and and the, and the I think the, the, the faint implication seems to be when you when you run that argument that anyone who has got any kind of organisation behind them, and I mean organisation in the true they have gotten organised and they have grouped group people together to try and improve something that immediately makes you somehow suspect and and, and an elite mm. and not someone who goes to shopping centres. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it just seems like the only people who matter are these, to Peter Dutton at least, are these unnamed people in the communities. Um, and we don't know who they are. We we don't know. We don't have any evidence of him speaking to anyone really. But yeah. um, There have been certain figures who he's been very happy to platform, um, including one of the people who appeared with him uh during his uh, his press conference, uh, which who ran a ran a uh, like an anti crime basically Alice Springs based Facebook page that got taken off Facebook for um for what for bullying and intimidation I believe, and it kind of brought to mind the previous uh, episode with Rachel Hale the the outback the quote unquote outback nurse, <laughs> yeah and I mean and in that case sort of she became a bit of a darling of of Sky News and News Corp um, as somebody on the ground who was talking about the violence in Alice Springs and it later became apparent that neither did she live in Alice Springs nor was she a nurse. Um, she had been in Alice Springs. And yes, and she had been a nurse, but she had been a cosmetic nurse and she had never worked in Alice Springs. And, of course, th- th- that no one has to, like, go back and be like, actually, we kind of got that completely wrong. Or, yeah. or, that, or, or we, we have to reassess the framing that we've been headlong heading in towards because the 
the, the expertise that we were relying on is not as credible as we necessarily thought it was. Yeah, and look, I think what's really interesting with both of those figures is Peter Dutton wants to appear with Darren Clark, the, you know, this, this local businessman, mm. um, and talk about how he's listening to the people on the ground and the people who are having their, you know, um, shops boarded up and, you know, he's, mm. he's implying that he's speaking to these people who are brave enough to speak out. But he's actually conflating two in sort of interlinked but, but separate issues, one being the voice and one being the situation in Alice Springs. Yeah, yeah. And he was asked today, like, you know, why aren't you listening to the Indigenous organisations about the voice? And he replied by saying, I'm listening to people who are having their shops boarded up. And mm. it's almost like, so you're saying those people's opinion on the voice matters when, yeah, with the, the conversation should be a separate one. It's, you know, can this address Indigenous disadvantage that you supposedly also care about? Um, but yeah, and, and a lot of figures in the Northern Territory, even those who do agree that there or, or, or are of the view that there is a, a, you know, a huge issue there that needs addressing, a lot of them have said we don't want this we don't want a, a tough on crime stance to be attached to the voice d- debate whether they're saying yes on whether they're saying a yes vote will help or a no vote will help we don't want any attachment to it we want we want a policy completely separate from that debate um so yeah it is kind of like well yeah you're, you're not really listening to the people that you're listening to no yeah just it's it's just who is convenient for my particular line of argument and yeah i mean the media has been more than willing to lean into that, I think, and to platform these people again and again and again um, who are not local and regional Indigenous voices. Uh, yes, yes. Um, and actually, as they have on a lot of issues with uh, Dutton trying to... I think that's the interesting thing of him trying to redefine himself time and time again, but he keeps leaking like, as a sort of more uh, cuddly and cohesive and uh, unifying figure, but he keeps going back into the kind of attack dog Yeah, I mean, mode. it's not clear why he why he's... I mean, it is clear why he wants to be seen as, as uh, sensitive and, and um, sympathetic to Indigenous people, but it's not working. Like, if he, <laughs> he's trying to use that as, like, I'm opposing the voice, but actually I really, really care about these issues, but he's just coming off as a hard law and order man when he... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what his views on... Um, Lydia Thorpe's uh, opposition to the voice. Uh, we have to cut it off there, though. Um, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. You are always welcome in the studio. And Anytime. it was lovely to properly meet you. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us every week on your favourite podcast platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at Nadge Samble, at Lily Juice, and at The Shuffle Diary. You can also listen in at rrr.org.au via On Demand for the radio version of the show. Want to support Spin Cycle? Become a Triple R subscriber. Your subscription helps keep the station running and helps Triple R produce and create great radio and podcast content like this. <laughs>